Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, episode 98. We are getting closer, DB, to episode 100. We're closing in. Jay, has a king ever worn 98? Uh, I don't believe so. None, don't none comes so. to mind very quickly. I know 97, obviously, and 99. I think there are only four players in yeah. the 90s. I can look that up while we're talking, but I don't think that there has ever been um, a 98. No, there hasn't been a 98. You go Ryan Smith, 94, JR, 97, and Gretz at 99. Uh, Grunstrom, of course, the only other player to wear a number in the 90s, which is 91. So, yeah, four players to wear numbers in the 90s. Yeah, so we got some ground to cover, so let's do it. All right, so uh, coming up on today's episode, we will have King's goaltender extraordinaire, the man who has long been referred to as the heir apparent to Jonathan Quick. He will be joining us, Cal Peterson, fresh off of his performance at the World Championships with Team USA. The name of the studios, though, today, DB, uh, sticking with the goaltender theme, Rob Stauber Studios. I felt that it was appropriate for a number of different reasons. Uh, First of all, I've said many times on the program, I think he makes or had the the best goaltending masks of anybody in L.A. King's Mm -hmm. history. Cal has a link to him as well. Uh, we'll get into that during the Cal Peterson interview. He trained with him a little bit when he was uh, a younger player at, at uh, Stauber's goaltending schools. And uh, number three, his nickname I thought was appropriate as well. His nickname was Blue Line, really because he would come out to the Blue Line to take on uh, uh, opponents. But uh, I just think Blue Line is a hot topic here in Los Angeles right now um, yes. with, with what they're doing on the roster. Great so connection, Yeah, I just thought it was a good deal, right? You know, you have the, 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 the Blue Line connection as well as the goaltending connection. But... Um, DB, to kick things off today, I was just curious. I was thinking about this earlier today. Cal Peterson, American-born goaltender, playing for Team USA. The general manager of the team, uh, John Van Beesbrook, who was formerly on Kings of the Podcast, a well-known American goaltender as well, and Mm -hmm. and now putting his fingerprints on Team USA. You have Mike Richter, um, a lot of other goaltenders born in the U.S. But when you think of U.S.-born goaltenders for you, DB, who comes to mind? I'm just curious. Um. The guy probably sitting on his couch in Connecticut right now, number 32. <laughs> That's a good answer. It's a good answer. Uh, Tom, Tom Barrasso? Wasn't, okay. Isn't Tom, Tom Barrasso I think of? Sure. How about you? What do you got? I think of Mike Richter um, probably the most. I, I think that I just don't think of Quickie off the top right away only because he's an active goaltender, so I think right. of him more as a Kings player. I mean, but when, once you said it, obviously, right? Uh, sure. You know, we, we've seen him play for the Olympics and things like that, but... Um, yeah, Mike Richter, just because of his success. I think going back to the 96 World Cup is really when USA Hockey 
started mm-hmm. its elevation, right? right of right. being a legit, yep. you know, international powerhouse and, and that they could rival Canada. That was such a great World Cup. Uh, the Olympics, you know, participation since then, as well as the additional World Cups, have been a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I, I would say Mike Richter. But look, there are a couple of young goaltenders. I mean, you talk about Connor Hellebuck. You talk about Cal Peterson. Um, there are guys that still have the opportunity before their career is over to put their fingerprints on Team USA and, sure. uh, and make their mark. But it's funny you said Quickie sitting on his couch. I just can't imagine Quickie just like sitting on his couch watching afternoon TV. I don't know what I picture him doing right now, but... It's not just laying around eating a bag of Cheetos with his feet propped up on the ottoman. Well, if it was the fall and on a Sunday at 10 a.m., he'd be watching the New York Giants. So, yeah, I think that, that, that's what I picture him, John. Maybe not watching the Dodgers or Yankees. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't be watching the Yankees right now. But, um, <laughs> but to, he's, such, you know, he's so chill, though. I don't see him out being active and you know and shopping with his wife, Jackie, or something like that. I know. Yeah, you go to the market, I'll, I'll hang out. I see him like reading a book and, it, and it's like a, a, a book? book about history or something like just something to really uh, get the juices flowing in his brain. But now mm-hmm. I'm picturing him wearing a Giants jersey watching the Giants game. So yeah. I guess we can just leave it at that. I think like I don't know what the player would be, but I, I just I picture him in a blue. It's not a Phil Sims jersey. I guarantee you it's not okay. a Phil Sims jersey. I, I don't yeah. even know. It's probably what jersey. Eli Manning. OK, Eli Manning, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. I used to go back and forth with him when they were when they were actually were good and winning Super Bowls and stuff. So I asked to, used to ask him for predictions on Giant Games. So, so but he's such a chill guy that I think that you know he might be reading a book on he might be reading a book on tattoos, John. Who knows? He very well could be. He very, I wonder if he's going to read Dean Lombardi's book when that comes out. Although that'll be a, a series of books, from what we understand. It's not just <laughs> one book. It comes in like a a, a, a twelve uh, edition set, John. So, Wait a minute. The audio book of that would be unbelievable. I would pay double for it just to, just double, to hear exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Look, Dean has Dean has not shown an interest in coming on the podcast just yet, but I I'm hoping, fingers crossed, DB, that hey, when know, the book comes out, he has to go on a yeah. book tour. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned it because um, I was down in Tampa and I saw Russ Cohn, who does a great job. He's out of Philly. And he said that Dean's been more visible over the last season or two in Philly at games and stuff like that. He's the first couple of years you never saw him, and now more and more he's kind of coming out of his shell, and he's been more visible in the Philly market, which is uh, great to see. All right, so um, I'm packing up the Roadcaster, and uh, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm off to Philly. Philly. Kings Flyers, circle that game on the calendar, and when the Kings head to Philly, I will, <laughs> I will head out there and track down Mr. Lombardi. I'm and, sure uh, you will, John. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get, the, <laughs> get the podcast done on, on, a, on a remote uh, broadcast. Uh, speaking of goaltenders, uh, well, actually, before we, uh, yeah, speaking with goaltenders, I, I'm sorry, I was jumping ahead of my notes here, getting to the Vesna. Um, but sure. the goaltenders have been a big part of the Stanley Cup final, as they always are. And I wanted yeah. to get your take on the whole Carey Price situation, because I was seeing something the other day, I think it was Jay Fresh, one of the analytics guys mm-hmm. on Twitter, and he was saying basically, look, um, that Carey Price, Carey Price has been as bad as advertised in the Stanley Cup yeah. final, that up until now, he kind of helped Montreal by putting him on, on his back, and he was his uh, goals that he was saving you know, above yep. expected was off the charts, and yep. that he just is letting in everything in the Stanley Cup final, and I'm just curious for your take on that. Well, up until last night, and we were talking after game four, his save percentage was 835, so you can talk about the fancy stats, but the regular stats, the 835 save percentage, it, it's just not good enough. And mm-hmm. he's been – see, in game – one, he looked tired in the third period, John. And both games, one and two, they were down 2-1. So if he made some big saves, maybe it turns around and they win one of those games. Looked tired in game one. Game two, 
lost focus because that play that uh, Gustafson made a bad drop pass. But, you know, Palat shot it off his, the side of his pad. He wasn't paying attention. So to me, he was kind of – I think he was just fatigued, to be honest with you. Uh, didn't have a great game in game three. But four did well. I mean, so if you have any hopes of extending the series, and I don't think they're, they're going to do an LA Kings from 2014 and come from 0-3 to beat Tampa. But he's been better. But the other issue with the Montreal Canadiens, John, is, is their, um, their puck management's been awful. Uh, when they turn off the puck, Tampa's so good. Ten seconds after this stat, I think they've scored nine goals after they've had the puck for ten seconds. Right? Wow. So the puck management's been really poor, and that hurts them. I, I looked the first two games of the Tampa series. Montreal had, and look, the stats in, that they publish aren't always that accurate in home arenas, but they had three giveaways and two giveaways in games one and two. They had 26 giveaways in game three and 20 in game three. So, as good as they played last night, and they got a great effort from Price and Josh Anderson, who was the power forward they need, they sure. still didn't manage the puck well. They gave up a lot of chances. Romanov scored a goal, but he didn't play well defensively if you watch the rest of that game. So you can't lay it on Carey because if Carey had better run support in the first two games, maybe they get a split. Maybe we have a different series. So, look, he's been responsible. It's like the quarterback in football, right, John? When you win, you get more credit. When you lose, you get more more blame. So I think mm-hmm. that's where we are right now. So while he could have been better, it's not the only reason they're down 1-3 right now. I think there's also something to be said for beating Toronto and then an emotional letdown. I'm, I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. outside of Montreal, I don't think there were many people coming into the playoffs who thought that they were going to make it to the Stanley Cup final. So you're kind of right. playing with house money, right? You get to the third round yep. you're, and, and you like, right? But at some point, you have to have that emotional letdown after beating Toronto because that was the most important series. To them, that really was their Stanley Cup yep. unless they had legitimate thoughts of winning the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, and they wrote and against Vegas. Who gave him? I mean, I think you gave him a shot against Vegas, but not a lot of people did. And they've been underdogs all three rounds, and they've won all three rounds. But it's it's fatigue. But let's give the other team some credit. They're they're pretty decent. Kucherov's pretty decent. Point's pretty good, and and Hedman's pretty good too. So I think that's part of the issue as well. Yeah, they are running into legitimately uh, one of the real dynasty teams of you know probably they the last twenty years. Great. I mean, th- this team it's is the loaded. Right word to use, John. Yep. Yeah, uh, it'll be very interesting to see after the cup is eventually won, uh, presumably by Tampa as well. But after the cup is won, it'll be interesting to see the offseason moves of the Tampa Bay Lightning, not only right. because they could potentially have some ties to Los Angeles and what they're trying to do with their roster, but just from a higher level, what the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to do, because they have some extremely difficult decisions to make here in this salary cap era. Yeah, you know, we talk about the Kings adding two forwards. I think Tampa's going to lose two forwards. I think Tyler Johnson's going to go to to Seattle. He's from, I think, Spokane. He's from the Pacific Northwest. And I think they lose a guy like Palat. I think that would be the affordable losses that they're going to have to move around some money because they're not going to have the salary cap, uh, the LTIR that they did. I assume that Kucherov's going to be healthy. I assume that Stammer's going to be healthy. So if that's the case, they're going to have to move out money. Moving out. And look, I give Tyler Johnson credit, John. Right, The guy was waived. He was on the fourth line. And now he's been a player of impact in, for them in the cup final. So it would be a nice farewell. I do think they'll win the cup. But I think you're right, John. They'll be a different-looking team. They may be just as dangerous, John, but they're going to be a different-looking team next season. Well, we always talk about the NHL being a copycat league, and that's the real that's the hot ticket this year. You get on, you go on waivers. Nobody claims you, and then you just you bounce <laughs> back. Adam Henrique, you know he uh, Henrique, excuse exactly. me, Adam Henrique, he bounced back. You see this with Johnson. So um, I don't, I don't, I didn't see that from Michael Amadio. Well, actually, he was claimed, so he doesn't fall into that category. I'd have to think about somebody that went on waivers and then uh, and Paul wasn't Byron claimed. On the on the Habs, there you go. Who's that? 
Yeah, Paul Byron. He got oh, waved. Paul Byron. Paul Byron on the uh, Habs. He got mm-hmm. waived. Yeah, he getting, he's, he's been on the third line. So, But, uh, yeah, Amadio got claimed, John. So there you go. By the okay. Iowa Senators. So, <laughs> Those are the uh, waiting for. Oh, wait. Did Amadio get claimed or did he? No, actually, I think he didn't get claimed. No, they ended up traded. trading him in the Kristen Wolanin deal. Trading him, yeah. Yes. 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 So he was traded. Okay. Well, it doesn't count because you have to have you have to have your bounce back with the same team that waived you. So uh, he does not count. But fine. Paul right, Byron exactly. can he can score a big goal uh, in Game Five. DB, you're calling it right now. Paul Byron's going to have a big one. Uh, speak, <laughs> speaking exactly. of goaltenders, though, moving on to the NHL awards, DB, um, Flower won the Vesna. Yeah. I don't want to create a controversy mm-hmm. because obviously it was he's worthy of the award. There's no doubt about that. I would just say, though, a little bit surprising because I would say that most people that you talk mm-hmm. to around the league thought that it was more hardware going down to Tampa. What was your take on it? Right. And then also want to get into uh, your, your uh, NHL award uh, ballot. But what would you think about the Vesna? Yeah. Well, I agree with you, John. I thought Vassy would win. Um, I, I think that part of it is a lifetime achievement award because in 17 seasons, he had not even been nominated Flower. So I get it. I have no beef. Is that right? Could number just... Yeah, he's never been nominated for the Vesna in 17 years. It's the that's first time insane. he's been nominated. I know. Wow. Well, I did not know that. That is insane. So that's the reality. So a bit of a maybe a lifetime sentimental pick, but the numbers are there. I will say this, John. Given the level of competition in, in the West versus what Vasilevsky faced in the Central, I think the numbers were skewed in favor of level of quality of competition towards Flower. No beef with it. I was surprised. But when you look at the numbers at the end of the day, he certainly deserves it. Now the question is, uh, before we talk about my ballot, are the Vegas Golden Knights going to trade the Vezina winner? Because it, it looks that way. You know what's so crazy about the whole thing, DB, is I think that there's you could even add that uh, whole storyline into him winning the award, right? The, the right. level of professionalism uh, that he has dealt with everything going on in Vegas over the last 18 months is pretty remarkable. And many people, we've even talked about it at the beginning of the season, many people did not see both of those goaltenders being on the roster come playoff time or post-trade uh, deadline even. And uh, they both were there for the entire season and, and really handled the situation from both sides admirably. Where do they go from here? Because they're going to have to do something, DB. They, they can't go another season with both of those guys. You can't have 12. Look, John, here's the thing with Tampa. They lost the same way this year as last year, their offense. And because they had Chandler Stevenson, he got hurt in the middle as the one. And you think you're going to win a championship with Chandler Stevenson? And I don't want to disrespect the guy, but William Carson's a solid number two, and he played well for the postseason. But the same problem happened. They couldn't score against Dallas. They couldn't score against the Habs, and they never fixed it. What did they do? They paid Petro $8 million a year, and they kept $12 million in net. Thought they would win that way. So I, I, I don't get it. I, they didn't address their one big need. Now, this season, what could they do? Could they trade for Kuznetsov? Yeah, that's a fit. That's a guy. He's done in Washington. You want that guy in Vegas? That would be a guy who's 29 years old. Yeah, I know. I get it, John. But I want to win, too. And if you have a veteran locker room, maybe you can do it with guys like Stone and Pacioretty and Petro. So maybe. I get it, John. So I understand that. But um, with with respect to that, so to me, you, you really have to trade Marc-Andre Fleury, John. I think that mm-hmm. there's no... There's really no other choice because you got one year left on his deal and you have the other guy, you have Leonard for four years, plus John, who played the last game. I'm convinced one thing of one thing, John. Robin Leonard's Pete DeBoer's guy. You could see it. Like with, with the season on the line, 
Like mm-hmm. they played Robin Leonard in the last game. So I think that the decisions were made, but you can't go back in and say, oh, we'd be comfortable. And the owner likes both guys. Sorry. You have to address <laughs> your center needs. How do you do that with a trading off a $7 million cap hit player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. He, he came to Vegas with a chip on his shoulder. It sounds like he's going to leave Vegas with a chip on his shoulder, and yeah. uh, he still has plenty in the tank. I mean, this is not a guy who's ready to ride off into the sunset, so uh, he's a very viable mm-hmm. option for teams looking to improve their goaltending, that's for sure. Um, okay, TB, moving right along here. Getting into the, because um, we are playing a little bit of catch-up here. We haven't had a Kings of the Podcast sure. um, in a couple of weeks here, so a lot to get to. We're going to get into the LA Kings roster and their lineup and everything in the third period so a big Kings focused third period let's wrap up the first period here though um, just with the NHL awards I know Adam Fox won mm-hmm. the Norris that was your pick for the Norris you also received a little yes. bit of pub because you threw Mikey Anderson uh, a fifth place vote which yes, we certainly appreciate that <laughs> uh, I am no longer voting on the awards so you're the sole uh, award yes. representer uh, representation here on the program uh, sure. w- besides Adam Fox winning the Norris trophy how else did you do with your uh, with your with your ballot well, I ha- well everybody a hundred. We had a hundred voters this year. A hundred mm-hmm. people voted Connor McDavid the heart, so he won unanimously. I think he should have. I had Jacob Slavin for the Bing. I had Kaprizov obviously for Calder, um, and I also had a also put I follow in the Lady Bing as my fifth place vote as well. So there was a little bit more love there. Okay. Uh, my one my one controversial pick is that I didn't have Kale McCarr on my ballot for the Norris because he missed twenty percent of the season. I got some crap from some. Um, from Avalanche fans who call me a clown, but if you miss 20% of the season, <laughs> it, it's equivalent to missing 17 games in an A2 game season, which would be six weeks. Yeah. At some point, Cal McCarr is going to win the Norse. Sure. Not this year. He just missed. He missed twelve of fifty six games. That's that's a bunch of games. So um, so that's it. Um, I. I um, I, I, I had Stone as my Selkie winner. I did not have Barkoff, so that's the difference. So, but look, Fox. You know, he had a tough couple uh, the last two weeks of the season he had a tough but I think overall um, I had Fox Hamilton and Hedman as my top three Kaprizov was an easy winner I think to me the, the really good thing is a McDavid won unanimously and b we had a defenseman win the Lady Bing because it's always usually a forward so that mm-hmm. was really good to see and I think Jacob Slavin I think he had one penalty for delay a game or something like that so um, nothing really controversial John but John, I don't know if you watched the uh, the uh, the show, the NBC Sports Network show for the awards. Did I you? I did not. I did not. Okay. Unfortunately. Okay. John, you and I doing this podcast, we put in more effort than that show. <laughs> so basically, this is what happened. They had Kyle Buskaskis and Kenny Albert standing on a balcony somewhere with a rail behind them, doing the uh, hosting the show. Okay. And they had Zoom calls. Like um, Leon Drysaddle presented Connor McDavid uh, the. Um, uh, the MVP on a Zoom call. And he goes, and other than me, like who else is responsible for you winning the award? So he was a little bit <laughs> joke, but it was you, can, John. You can tell that NBC is done with the NHL and their contract based <laughs> so, off that. I, so they I, mailed I in their final it. Zoom. Yeah. John, a totally mail-in show. I'm like, why bother? Me and you could have hosted, and made some jokes, and it would have been better. It was, it was for me. It was embarrassing that the league would even stand for that, but that's that's what wound up happening. All right. Well, if we if either one of us had more time, TB, we could actually do a mock show uh, in the yes. next couple of weeks and issue that, and, and perhaps it would be it would be even funnier than that. Um, so that is that is uh, sort of interesting, though, overall about the the awards and whatnot. Um, I, I would agree. I, when I looked over the list of award winners, I didn't think that there were too many uh, controversial ones. Uh, there yeah. was some somebody I can't remember off the top of my head. Somebody had a, a problem on the uh, on the Calder, not with your ballot, but with somebody else that didn't. Kaprizov didn't get a vote. That's what it was. Okay. Um, and I don't remember who it was 
what, which which city, which writer yeah. it was that didn't give him a vote. You know, John, weird. that's why we have 100 voters. Right. Right. That, and, and, you know, we've talked personally about that like a couple of years ago when we had that issue with um, uh, Ovechkin getting the all-star, getting an all-star nomination for the right and left wing and some other people. <laughs> Even voting. though the emails came out and told you which side to vote him for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ten times. <laughs> and then some other outlier. And, and, and it's funny because. And there were some guys like I forget who it was somebody gave some enforcer a, a vote for the lady Bing and and we had a conversation about it uh, as a group and I remember Elliot Friedman saying that you know what I have no problem with outliers like you know if if we trust them to vote and they vote a certain way that's why you have and usually it's about 150 some odd voters this year we had 100 because of the pandemic and we didn't get to see all the players so sure. I've got no problem with outliers because I think that I think we got it right. That's right. the, they, the outliers get washed away in, in a larger pool. So what's the difference? John, your, your business acumen clicks in again, of course. <laughs> common, common sense. Thank you. Uh, I, I do just have to ask, though, based upon your comment from earlier. So you have now um, on your on your clown bingo card, you have stamped the Colorado Avalanche. Are there any teams yes. left that have not yet referred to you as a clown? Um. No, I think that completed the. Uh, I think I can think I can yell bingo, John. <laughs> Great, outstanding. Doing uh, my job, baby. Yeah, that's job. it. That's right. Creating creating conversation. Uh, final conversation or final question then regarding uh, outside of L.A. Uh, before we move on and, and tee up Cal Peterson here, which we'll do. Atmosphere in Tampa. I'm always curious. Coming out yeah. of the pandemic, hearing from different people, what was this building like? What was that building like? How was the atmosphere in Tampa for the Cup final? You were there uh, a couple days ago. A, it was friggin' loud, John. It was a filled building. It, it, now we don't really talk about Tampa's crowd, but they weren't they weren't hands off. They were full throated. It was loud. And to me, John, the one biggest takeaway when they do the intros at the beginning of the game, like the guy who got the largest, uh, the, the loudest applause and the loudest reaction was Vasilevsky. Oh. To me, that was, yeah, uh, you would think Hedman, Stammer, Kucherov, yeah. Point. Vasilevsky right now is the most popular Tampa Bay player. Not the most popular, not the most popular athlete in Tampa. There's a guy that wears number twelve, which is probably a little bit more uh, uh, popular. But to me, it was I was like, wow, Vasilevsky. That's that's really interesting. So right now, you know, he's their most popular player and probably their best player. All right, so Game 5 coming up tomorrow night. We are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, game 5 coming up in Tampa. And uh, I guess really the only question that people really have on their minds, will, uh, will Hulk Hogan and uh, Brian Nobbs from the Nasty Boys, will they be on the ice if the cup is awarded? We're going to have to find out. These are the burning questions, DB, kind of like uh, today with Owen Power and the cabinet behind him. Can somebody close the cabinet and uh, will Hogan show up at the cup ceremony like he did the last time? But Jay, wait a minute. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Do you want to make a wrestling reference? Are you not going to mention who I took a photo with in Tampa? I, I, okay, sure. We can do that. Um, I, I just assume that everybody listens to your uh, radio show on NHL Radio. But for those two or three people out there that don't listen to DB on the hot stove and various other programs and uh, don't follow him on Twitter, uh, first of all, shame on you. But uh, yeah. DB, you did run into an interesting individual at the hotel in Tampa. Okay, so I'm sitting at the bar after game one. And... The nature boy, Ric Flair, rolls through the bar. The place goes nuts. Women come up. They want selfies. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not like that, but that's one photo I want. Sure. Right? But I wasn't going to do it there in that, in that context with all these people crowded around them. So I figured, yeah, let me be cool. He's probably staying in a hotel. Next morning, go down for breakfast, go to Starbucks, chill out. And there's Nature Boy sitting by himself. Love it. Nobody's talking to him. I'm like, hey, Nate, you know, we got a little crew in L.A. We think of ourselves as a four horseman. Would you mind taking a photo and giving us the sign? He goes, yeah, no problem. And so I would thought he was going to the game, but he wasn't. He was actually 
in Tampa because he bought a new boat and it's being uh, housed in Sarasota. Between oh. Doctor and Sarasota, so he came down to check out the boat. But he was gracious. It was good. He was happy to do it. And that, you know, John, like I'm not very starstruck, <laughs> but I'm like, that's the nature boy. Like, come on, I got to do this. So I was, I was, I was going to do it because I'm thinking maybe he's not going to be in the, the hotel other than that one night. But the next morning, it was just, uh, it was great to snap a selfie. But it was fantastic. See, you're, you're, you were uh, rewarded for your patience there. It's good yes, call. It's a Wait virtue. The following day. It's a virtue. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, as we bring in Cal Peterson here, great story, by the way, DB. I love the photo. When you texted it to me, I was just cracking up laughing. I thought it was fantastic. I, I knew there fantastic. I knew there would be a story. So um, <laughs> how I, I'm sure that it, there were probably no more than 10 seconds after you snapped the photo before you texted it to me as well, right? I'm, oh, I'm yeah, sure yeah, it was, all, it was all happening you know, in real time. John. <laughs> and I got the four horsemen sign. Come on, John. That, yeah. like, it's got to go to mayor first. I mean, come on. <laughs> I was, and when I saw that you tweeted it later, I was going to chirp you and say, that Bob Miller is upset that Nate took his spot because, of course, we have that great photo of uh, yes, of Bob yes. Miller, his last game in the press box. There's a picture of all of right. us and and, and yes. uh, Bob Miller holding up the four for the four the horsemen. So um, that was going to be Bob's new gig, but I guess he's been replaced now by 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 the OG himself, by Nate. So that's, that's good. True. Uh, DB, uh, DB, we have Cal Peterson uh, coming up here in the second period. That's fantastic. He wears number 40 yeah. in Los Angeles, Dennis, and there are only four players in the history of the LA Kings who have worn number 40. So uh, it's a very short numerology segment today. The very first player to ever wear number 40 is an interesting one because he only wore it for one season very briefly and that was Daryl Sador he later changed his number mm-hmm. to 25 uh, that would be the more common number that he wore in Los Angeles also wearing number 40 would have been Barry Potomsky uh, and Matt Ryan who was a very brief player for the LA Kings I think he only played about 10 or 12 games that was the final year of Dave Taylor as the GM right before Dean Lombardi was hired so that would have been the 2005-2006 season and of course now CP40 Cal Peterson himself wears that number and and uh, he most likely will be wearing that number for quite a long time here in Los Angeles. We'll talk about that and other things on the other side of the break right after this. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, and joining us right now, Calvin Lewis Peterson, CP40, LA Kings goaltender. What's happening, Cal? Not a lot. Thanks for having me on, John. Had to throw your full government out there. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess now everybody knows my middle name's Lewis, so. <laughs> Could be worse. Um, I, you know, I, I was putting this list of questions together, knowing that you were coming on, and uh, I, I thought I had everything wrapped up. And then earlier today, as I was kind of preparing for you to call, Two things came to my mind, odd questions. One is, I've referred to you for so long as the heir apparent to Jonathan Quick. I'm just wondering, are you kind of getting tired of that at this point? Like, are you ready to turn the page and stop being the heir apparent, the next guy, and just be the guy? I mean, it's it's obviously a goal. Um, 
but you know, I still feel like I got a lot left to prove. I mean, I think it's, you know, this was, this was kind of my first full season, if you want to call it. And, um, you know, those are, those are enormous shoes to fill, you know, not only in, in the LA Kings organization, but just in hockey in general. So, I mean, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to keep playing and, and to have, um, his, him as a teammate. And, but, um, you know, my goal is always obviously to be a number one goalie in the NHL. So that's, uh, that's my goal this summer. And that's my goal going into next year. And the other question I thought about Cal, you've always been so gracious with your time. We've had so many wonderful conversations through the years going all the way back to your time, you know, in Ontario and whatnot, but man, why do you want to talk to me right now? I mean, like, I mean, I appreciate it, but aren't you over hockey right now? All the protocols, all the bubbles in, out, traveling to Europe, like, dude, start your summer already. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, I'll always make time for you. Um, of course, I mean, you got, you do a lot of great things and uh, get a lot of great stories out for the Kings, um, you know, which is awesome. So we're always appreciative of that, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to keep your mind off hockey, obviously with the, the Stanley Cups going on. And um, that's a place you obviously ultimately want to be. And, and the way that it is in the summer, I mean, July is kind of where everything starts ramping up and, and people get ready to uh, to get going. And in a month or so, people will start heading out to their uh, respective cities. So, um, you know, for a pro hockey player, it's, it's not a lot of time off. And um, so, I mean, I've been kind of excited. I've been very motivated this year. So I don't mind talking a little hockey. I, I, thank you for that, by the way. I appreciate it. Um, I, I'm fascinated by what you just said about the cup and stuff because everybody sort of has their own way of, of internalizing what's going on when their team is out of the playoffs. So I'm curious by that. You, you've played a lot of hockey now, and you're back home from Europe. And are you reengaged? Are you watching the playoffs intensely? Are you, you know, are, were, were you paying attention to to Game Four last night, knowing that the cup might have been awarded? Yeah. So I watched the game. I watched the game last night. Um, you know, one of my really good. Uh, buddies is Jake Evans on on Montreal so um, uh, we were roommates in college and everything so I was watching for him knowing that he got back in the lineup um, and wanted to see that but you know it's kind of obviously you're always aware and and um, of what's going on I mean I wouldn't say I've watched every every single second of all the games um, in the playoffs but you know you're definitely aware and and watch here and there when you can because um, it's obviously you know again you know, it's a position that you want to be in, but it's some good motivation, um, you know, knowing that that's a goal, you know, hopefully in the future. For sure. Lots of King stuff to get to today, but uh, given that you you uh, had some success with Team USA and it was exciting, I think it was an exciting, uh, you know, situation for you. Let's talk a little bit about that. Namely, um, you played a game on Memorial Day. And for what I understand, I think it might have been your grandfather. Uh, somebody had served in the military and they were texting mm-hmm. you and that sort of thing. Can you would you be uh, would you be OK telling some of that story? Yeah. Um, yeah, we played we played Germany on Memorial Day. Um, and we beat him. I think we beat him three nothing. Um, but yeah, my, my grandfather served. I've, I have a few family members that have served. Um, my grandfather's passed on, but he, uh, he served in world war two. Um, and so again, it was, it was kind of one of those things where, uh, um, you know, it's, it's obviously there's, there's a, a lot different relationship between the U S and Germany, um, you know, to say the least, but I mean, I think it's, it's more so just, you know, to win on that day, especially it's such an important day for Americans. And I think we felt a, a little extra sense of um, um, kind of pride and, and showing a win on Memorial Day would be kind of our, you know, way to, um, you know, to show respect to, to those that have, um, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice and have served our country. And 
Um, our coach, our head coach, Jack Capuano, his son served as well. So, um, again, it was, it was kind of a little bit of extra motivation for us, you know, to definitely get that win. And then I actually think our last one came on D-Day, so, or the Memorial D-Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool, too. And, and I know it's a cliche question. I'm going to ask it anyway, because players talk about how special it is to put on that international jersey, whether it's Team Canada, Sweden, Finland, U.S., whatever it is. There's just that sense of pride that you were mentioning there. Can you describe at all what that emotion was like when you put the jersey on and you're going to be playing in those games, what it meant to you? Yeah, I mean, it. Um, you know, it's cliche, but, you know, everybody says it's just, uh, it's obviously a huge honor whenever you're representing your country and um, whatever way you can. And um, the World Championships, you know, kind of along with the Olympics is kind of the, you know, the, the main goals of that and kind of the highest level that you can do. And so that was really special. But um, I would say that, you know, I didn't, I didn't probably uh, fully feel it until, um, you know, you win your first game and, and you see your flag getting lifted up and the national anthem starts playing. And I think that's kind of one of the more prouder moments and, and definitely my proudest moment, you know, represent the U.S. And that's when you're kind of like, wow, this is, this is something that's really special. And, you know, it's, it's just something that um, you don't really fully understand until you're kind of, you know, go to battle and have a game and you come out on the other side, especially representing your country. And so, um, seeing that flag lifted was, was a really cool, uh, really cool thing for me and something that I'll always remember. Was it even on your radar? I mean, as the world championships were coming up, knowing that the Kings weren't going to be in the playoffs, were you starting to think, Oh, Hey, maybe I'm going to get the call or did it come as a complete surprise? How did that all come together? Um, I mean, it was, it was definitely a goal of mine. Um, you know, I, I represented them in, uh, 2017. I was third goalie out of college and it was something that I was, always wanted to, you know, have a, a significant role on a team in the future someday. And, you know, so whenever the opportunity came, I was always going to say yes. It was a very easy yes for me. You know, I didn't really care if it was in a bubble or, or what the deal was. I was, I was going to go and, and, you know, I feel like it's just kind of a call that you don't really turn down. And so um, I was obviously very ecstatic, but um, like I said, it was kind of a, a goal that I had during the year that, um, first off, obviously wanted to make the playoffs and, and, you know, that would have kind of taken it out of the equation, but you know, if, if things didn't work out, um, I really wanted to be on that world championship team and, and play some meaningful hockey at the end of the year. Yeah, sure. Uh, gives you, gives you a good high note to sort of go into the summer with as well. Um, here's one for you. When, when guys get drafted and when they're prospects, uh, whether they're playing in college or junior, you know, they come to development camp, they sort of feel like they're part of the Kings organization and they go their own separate ways and, when they see guys playing or guys, you know, their, their, their future teammates, when they see them on other teams in the OHL or other guys in college, it's not that big of a deal because it's part of the process. But once you're an NHL player, like you are now, it's very rare to see one of your teammates across the ice as, you know, a, a competitor. Um, mm-hmm. When you're, when you're there and you're, you know, now you're for team USA and you're seeing guys like Sean Walker playing for Canada and Oli Mott is playing for Finland. Is it a little bit weird? Like it, just when you first see it, yeah, it's really weird. Um, you know, it's 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 almost uh, you know you de- you definitely want to beat them um, even more actually than being a teammate because it it just feels a, a little bit more personal and you know you definitely want to kind of have the bragging rights when you guys come back at the end of the year and or you know for the for the start of next year. So I think that even made it a little bit more. But you know, we obviously whenever we saw each other, we were we were able to hang out and stuff like that. But um, you know, I, I think it was kind of, you know, once we stepped over there and, 
um, after the flight from from LA to Newark, and then we kind of went our separate ways with our respective teams. I think it was kind of friends off for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and then it was kind of more just concentrating on your own team. And then, um, you know, obviously after the tournament's done, it's it's back together. But I mean, I think all of us were were competitors, and there was uh, there was definitely not a lot of tummy sticks out there between everyone. Who's the best chirper in the group? Like, who's someone who maybe took an extra lap around the goaltender's cage and is mumbling something under their <laughs> breath or sent you a text before the game or something? Anybody? Um, like from the Kings? Or yeah, yeah. From, um, you know, not really much. I mean, again, it's, it's you know, we would kind of, um, you know, having four Kings guys and, and seeing those guys, like we were, you know, we would chirp, you know, a little bit just back and forth when we were on the charter plane over, but we were mostly all hanging out together and, um, you know, there wasn't, again, I think, you know, everybody respected each other. It wasn't one thing where somebody was trying to get under, under each other's skin. And I think it's also kind of at the same time as that such a, you know, it was kind of those one and done playoff games where, you know, you didn't want to do anything to put your team down or take anybody out. So, um, it was more, you know, kind of a, a mutual respect for each other. Um, but we definitely had our fun on the way over there and, and, you know, kind of, chirped a little bit on the way, but, um, you know, once we touched down, the game started is pretty, pretty much all business on our side. You're letting me down, Cal. I wanted to hear that, you know, Jod maybe had, Jod had gone from like, you know, quiet professional, you know, always in control to this, just like a wild man who, who was, you know, running his mouth the whole time. So it didn't happen then. Okay. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint, but <laughs> it was, uh, you know, maybe if we would have had more of a series against them or, okay. or seen, seen each other more, that could have been, uh, could have been the case, but, um, or, you know, maybe it was some news just wasn't comfortable in his own, uh, <laughs> on his own team to kind of get out of the shell, let alone ours. So, but, sure. you know, we still had a few chirps on each other in the hallways whenever we'd see each other, but, um, it was still, like I said, pretty, pretty much business. How old do you think Anderson Dolan was when he first became this, this professional guy? Cause like, I imagine him at like nine years old, just walking around his elementary school, still, still being as buttoned up as he is right now. <laughs> I mean, I would assume so. I mean, he was obviously raised um, extremely well and, and has, you know, a, a very high level of character. And um, that's obviously evident, you know, the way that he plays and his commitment to the game. And, um, so that, you know, from that side, it's it's really cool to see. And, you know, there's a reason why, you know, he's been, um, you know, captain and different leadership roles all the way up. And, um, you know, I think it's it's one of those things that the earlier that you can learn that, um you know, the better. And so I think it's, it's, and it's cool too. I mean, he was obviously a little bit more of a quiet kid when I first met him. And, and like I said, very dedicated, very diligent and fun to, to get to know him well and, and have him come out of his shell a little bit. Cause he's a really funny kid and, and super fun loving and, um, likes to have a good time. So, um, that's a side that probably not everybody gets to see, but, um, you know, he's, he's a really, really good kid and, um, he's going to be an important part of, uh, you know, the whole organization. Um, in the next few years and a great example for kind of the young guys coming up too. Yeah, for sure. I think him and Mikey Anderson, both, both, uh, so articulate, so intelligent, just, uh, pleasures to speak with. And, uh, I, you know, yeah. Um, how about this guy though? Trevor Moore, I'd like you to maybe, you know, pump his tires a little bit, give people an opportunity to know if you feel obligated to, or if you feel inclined to, oh, I should say, you know, I just, I think it's such an interesting case. He was kind of viewed as the throw in, in, in a trade coming to Los Angeles. People didn't really know a lot about him, nor did they expect a lot from him. And it just seems like all he does is just continue to get better and better. And, and, and you just, you keep giving him a little bit more opportunity. And you go, Oh, well, he can take on a little bit more responsibility and a little more, a little more. And uh, you, I mean, 
Were you tripping out a little bit when you saw him on the top line for Team USA? I certainly wasn't expecting that. Um, I mean, I actually wasn't too uh, too surprised by it. Um, you know, I played against Trev um, all the way dating back to juniors. Um, he was on the Tri-City Storm, and he was kind of the one guy on that team where you really had to watch out for him. And um, he was extremely good and then played against him in college and, again, was, was extremely good. And I think kind of every team that he's been on, um, you know, whether it's college or when he, um, you know, went to, to, to Toronto, um, I think he was just um, one of, of a couple extremely good hockey players. And um, I think it was, it's just kind of a matter of him getting the right opportunity to, to really showcase what he can do because he's extremely skilled, he's extremely smart, and, um, you know, a, a really good hockey player. And so, you know, we saw a little bit last year, he got, got a few chances on a power play, but, um, you know, he's a very kind of, kind of humble guy. So I think sometimes he kind of undersells himself, but, um, I mean, I think he's, again, I think he's a, a fantastic hockey player and, um, really somebody that, um, you know, is kind of solidifying his, you know, kind of upside as, as a really skilled hockey player with, and also being, um, you know, extremely dedicated to the defensive side and, and giving himself a chance to, to be a really, you know, a really big impact player um, for our team, you know, just like he was at Team USA. Yeah, such a great success story, right? Uh, somebody who, like you said, just seemed to need to have an opportunity. And he's, you talk about making the most of your opportunity. That's exactly what he's done with the LA Kings so far. And, and to the point that, the, you know, he's probably going to be protected in the upcoming expansion draft, which two years ago uh, wouldn't have even been a thought. So uh, kudos to him and just uh, nice to see some of his success. Let's get to you for a little while. Um they let you wear team four, uh, team forty. They let you wear number forty, which is kind of cool because uh, a lot of times when you go to an international tournament, you don't get to always wear your number. So, pretty cool to still wear number forty, I would imagine. Yeah, extremely cool. I mean, that was um, again, um, you know, when I was asked and they asked what jersey number I wanted, it's obviously a, a no brainer. So I was happy that it was there, there for me. And um, there's usually not a lot of guys that grab that jersey number, so. I, I usually get, you know, luckier more times than not, but um, it's going to look really good to hang it up, um, <laughs> you know, at, at my house and, and have the 40 sticking out there. So anytime I can, you know, kind of wear my number, it obviously makes it a lot more special. Where would you have gone from if they would have said, no, 40 is not available? What, what, what do you do next? <sighs> I don't know. I, I never really got that far. Um <laughs> You can't just reverse it. You can't go 04. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I was thinking maybe 60 because of uh, Jose Theodore. Okay. Um, That's kind of my always backup or 20 potentially, but um, I don't know. It's it's always just kind of a throw in number of 40 is not available. (laughs) 20? Yeah. Yeah. Half half of 40. (laughs) How about 80? You'd be twice as good. Yeah. I mean, I I could, I guess I could have done 80 as well, but um, yeah, I, I, I was more so just putting all my balls in the court, whether it's going to be 40 or not. And, and, go. and after that, just, just make a panic decision. <laughs> and you would have had to get some duct tape or something to uh, change the number on the mask, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, luckily I knew the number before I had to, okay, before good. I had to make the mask. So um, I guess that was one of the stipulations for it. <laughs> Helpful. Uh, now, obviously a very successful tournament. You're named the best goaltender in the tournament. But from what I understand, John Van Beesbrook, who uh, we had on the program, he came on the podcast just before uh, the world junior tournament last year to talk about the Kings prospects to be playing for team USA. So Beezer had a lot of good stuff to share, but um, from what I understand, he came in the locker room to announce this, right? So just, what was that whole experience like? 
Um, it was really cool. It was obviously, you know, after we won the, the, the bronze medal, um, you know, we were just kind of all sitting around the locker room, um, you know, having a few drinks, kind of just rehashing the tournament. And, and obviously, I mean, we were an extremely close hockey team. And so, you know, we had a, we had a lot of fun and everybody was in there. And he just kind of, uh, you know, stopped the music a little bit and asked, uh, you know, he just uh, came in. It was, I mean, it was kind of blunt, but he's just like, you know, best goaltender in the tournament you know, Cal Peterson and, and handed me the trophy. And, um, it was obviously really cool. You know, all the boys being in there and everybody was obviously excited by, you know, winning the last game. So we're all having fun, but, um, it was obviously a cool thing and, and a really, you know, cool and humbling recognition. And, um, you know, obviously having him as a a really big part of the team too, you know, being a, you know, one of the best American born goaltenders and being able to to share, share a few conversations with him and, he was very encouraging, so I was I was glad to kind of develop a relationship with him as well. Yeah, so you had Beezer there, uh, Kevin Reeder. I guess he's the goaltending coach for Team USA. Are you? You mentioned that you were talking with Beezer. Is there a lot of goaltending coaching per se that that comes up in such a short tournament? Do you have conversations, or were you maybe you know texting or calling with Ranford if you had questions? What's the coaching process like during such a short tournament? Yeah, so um, with Kevin Reeder, he was he was the goalie coach, and so. Um, kind of the first couple of days were just, you know, kind of understanding, you know, what I needed, what kind of different stuff I liked, you know, whether it's if we had a pregame skate or the day before, or, um, after games with video or, um, you know, pre-scouts or anything like that. So, I mean, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty uh, low maintenance guy, I'd probably say in those regards. And, um, so it was more so just kind of getting to know each other. And, and we obviously watched video after games and, um, watch a few pre-scout things. So it was more so just kind of bouncing things off each other, um, you know, trying to kind of come up with a few drills to do, whether it's after practice or anything that we needed, you know, kind of to prepare for the upcoming game. But he was an awesome resource, and, and I had heard of him before. And so, you know, to be able to, to meet with him and kind of, um, you know, have another guy in your corner and, and you know, see all the, the great things that he has. He's obviously extremely smart and accomplished coach so it was it was a lot of fun to be able to you know have some time with him and, and share in that experience have you given any thought at all to the fact that uh connor hellebuck was the last u.s goaltender to have the, the type of success that you've had at the tournament and he's uh since then he's gone on to have a couple of pretty good years yeah yeah he's uh he's a very very good goaltender he was actually one of the goalies um that was with me when i went in 2017 so mm-hmm. i got to know him a little bit um but again it's it's very good company and um, you know, I, I hope to, you know, hopefully have some of the same successes that he's had so far, but, um, you know, it's again, it's again, it's, it's a humbling thing to, you know, you know, be next to him and, and have the same recognition. Let's, uh, let's talk about some coaches here for a second. So Bill Ranford, what, what is the biggest impact would you say that Ranford's had on your career up until now? Um, I mean, I guess it's hard to kind of pinpoint just one, um, you know, he's obviously, you know, you know, had a, a very, very successful NHL career. Um, so the respect level there is, is obviously very big. But, um, you know, just kind of, I want to say, I mean, from a technical standpoint, you know, again, he's, he's very, very smart, you know, and, and very good at um, almost being efficient in what he, uh, you know, teaches me and what he helps me with. It's, it's not a information overload. It's, one or two things to concentrate on, um, you know, whether it's one situation or, or kind of a foundation piece. And, 
and kind of things build from there. It's not, you know, we need to work on this, we need to work on this, we need to work on this. And I think that's one thing that I really appreciate. And then, then also just, um, you know, I think just from the mental side, um, anytime we do video, um, being able to, to bounce ideas off each other, um, he'll kind of ask me what I see in different situations. And I think we have, you know, very thoughtful conversations with that. And, um, you know, again, like I said, just him understanding the position so well and, um, you know, kind of having a very pragmatic, you know, kind of approach to, you know, games and wins and losses and, you know, whether it's a successful game or not, I think is, is very, very helpful. And so that, that wisdom is definitely, you know, good to have in your corner. And so I've been, uh, I've been very happy with kind of the, the relationship that I've formed with him. There are a couple other guys in the organization as well. Obviously, Todd McClellan, the head coach in L.A. There's a goal, another goaltending coach, Matt Millar, um, in Los Angeles. There's There are two guys, though, that come to mind when I think of you because they were with you for the early part of your time in the organization, Mike Stuthers and, and Dusty. Um, have, you, have you stayed in touch with either of those two guys? And how, how many minutes was it after the game was over before they were sending you a, a nice congratulatory text? Yeah, um, I actually keep in touch with both of them um, fairly consistently. Consistently, I mean, I talked to uh, probably talked to Dusty. You know, he'll poke in or so, maybe you know, once or twice, you know, a month or so, and and we kind of just you know catch up on things and and stuff like that. You know, he's he was obviously a huge part of um, you know my career when I first got into you know the the Kings organization, and then um, and then with with Stutz. Um, I mean, obviously you, you know, what kind of guy he is and, and how great of a person he is. And, um, you know, the day that, the, the day that he moved on from the Kings, I, I called him right away and we had a conversation and obviously just thanked him for, for his role and, um, getting me to where I was. And so I think from there we've, we've, you know, obviously kind of formulated a little bit more of a relationship that goes further than, than just a player and a coach. And, um, so that's been nice. And, and, you know, keep in touch. We both got new dogs at the same time. So that was something we talked about a little bit. And, and then obviously once he got his new deal in Anaheim, you know, reached out and, and was hoping that we would kind of, you know, cross paths here soon. So I'm really happy for him that he has, a, you know, another great opportunity and, and an opportunity finally to be in the NHLs. But, um, you know, two really, really great humans that, um, you know, and coaches that I've been really fortunate to, you know, I've had so far in my journey. Here's the important question. In your opinion, who uses more emojis in their text messages? Would it be Stutz or would it be Dusty? Uh, I would say Dusty has it. Okay. Uh, has that one down, but Stutz is getting good. Um, Stutz has more of just the crying, the crying laughing face, which, which is kind of funny because he has, uh, I know exactly, you know, how he's, that he's actually laughing hysterically whenever he sends these texts, so. Um, but again, yeah, great guys and, and, and awesome to keep in touch with. And, um, just, yeah, I'd really look forward to the next time that, you know, we can kind of all be together. Here's what I want you to do today, Cal. I want you to send Stutz a text. Then the only thing in it is going to be the, the hug emoji. And then that's it. No, t- no, nothing else. And then don't reply to whatever he replies back to just, <laughs> just the hug emoji. That's it. Yeah. He's, yeah, he'll, he'll be a little, a little bit, uh, <laughs> concerned and confused, but 
I think I think you'd somewhat understand. Uh, Rob Stauber, I, I want to wrap up the interview here. Just a couple more to go. We'll wrap it up. But uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Stauber only because we've talked about him so much in the past. For those that don't know, you, you uh, when you were much younger, you used to go to Stauber's goaltending school. And uh, you guys had sort of a reunion at the AHL All-Star Game when he was in town. Um, so we have some articles on Mayor's Manor about that. But the mask that you did, uh, we exchanged a couple texts about it. But I wanted you to just kind of tell the story, if there is one. When you decided to do the tribute mask to Rob Stauber, which was phenomenal, um, just what, what what went into that? When did you come up with it? How did you come up with it? Why, et cetera? Um, I think it just started, um, you know, I was kind of looking through King's mask, King Goalie's mask, and, you know, in previous years for kind of a little bit of inspiration because I've always kind of been a guy that really likes the, the kind of clean, you know, kind of vintage, if you want to say, or retro look. And so I kind of wanted to, see if there were you know any goalies that you know i could add you know some elements of their mass into mine i saw um i saw rob's and and saw how just clean it was and symmetrical and and obviously had that fantastic um you know king uh right on top Mm -hmm. and i was like that would be an awesome thing to kind of incorporate into my mask and so um after i did the first one i actually did the first one for the um first 90s night jerseys that we had um, so that one's a silver, black and, and white one. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's when it first kind of came out and everybody was like, wow, that's a fantastic helmet. Um, and then obviously did a black one and then now have, and, and now have the purple and gold one. So I kind of have all the bases covered, but I think it's such a phenomenal design. Um, that is something that I'm going to keep going moving forward. And, um, you know, obviously add my, I kind of have a few of my own twists on, onto the mask, but, um, you know, the, the whole kind of basis of it is a tribute to, to the mask that he had. And, um, so I hope to, to kind of keep it going cause it's a phenomenal mask and, um, got a lot of great attention. So, so are you breaking a little news here then Cal, this is going to be part of, part of your, uh, part of your deal going forward. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely going to be, um, a little bit part of it just cause of, uh, you know, like I said, the great feedback and it's, it's a tremendous, you know, looking helmet. And so, um, you know, any more eyes I can get on it. So that might, that's, uh, I haven't gotten the new mask designed yet, but um, that will be something kind of going forward. Well, feel free to work in like a Mayor's Manor logo or the KOTP logo. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do that, that's okay. We're not going to, we will not be upset about that at all. So you have free permission to do that. Um, I, I love to argue King's sort of history and trivia with people. And I've long argued that Stauber's masks were the best in, in among any goaltender in LA King's history. So now you're taking it to the new level and giving us the modern version of that. So uh, congratulations on that. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, by the way, thanks for the time. I do appreciate it. You didn't even have to quarantine for this. So that's, that's good. Um, yeah. Any big plans for the summer? I mean, last summer you had uh, Alex Iafalo sleeping in your driveway and stuff. I don't think you're going to have to worry about that this time around. Any any good stuff happening this summer? Um, I mean, really, it's it's a pretty straightforward summer. Obviously, you know, with World Championships, things, um, you know, your normal summer, I guess, kind of got cut short, um, you know, as compared to the last year. But um, it's really just kind of, you know, spending time with friends and family, um, you know, just, you know, soaking it in before heading back to L.A., um, I got Trevor Moore's wedding um, at the end of uh, July that I'm I'm looking forward to, and um, that'll be kind of a fun you know thing to to be able to experience and have fun with. And then it's uh, going to be back to LA and um, kind of get things settled in. So I'm really excited. I mean, it's again, this is probably one of the summers that I've I've been most excited for, and just um, you know I think can't wait for you know everything that we have coming up next year and and kind of having more of a 
normal sort of season. And I think that's going to be obviously welcomed with um, open arms from everybody. So it's uh, an exciting summer. And I think the feeling's kind of mutual among all the guys. Um, So I think people are really excited to kind of get going and and keep this train moving and, uh, you know, put together a really good shot at, at getting back to the playoffs. Big expectations coming into next year. Your GM is uh, picking up players, making moves for you, giving you a better team in front of you, so uh, it should be fun. Enjoy the wedding. Enjoy the, the very, very short summer, Cal, and we'll see, you back, uh, we'll see you back at the rink in September, I guess. Yeah, thank you for having me on, John. All right, Cal, have a great one. There you go, Cal Peterson. We'll be back after the break to talk more about it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period. Thanks again to Cal yep. Peterson for uh, dropping by. He should be off vacationing. Uh, we talked about Jonathan Quick laying around on his couch. <laughs> like CP40's played enough hockey. He should be oh. uh, chilling out somewhere. But uh, thanks to him for jumping in and talking some some goaltending and telling some some good stories with Team USA and the LA Kings, of course, Dennis. Uh, there's some breaking news that took place uh, earlier today, Dennis, yes. as well, and that is on the blue line, the LA Kings re-signed Christian Wolanin to a one-year deal. It's a two-way contract, so uh, he could play in the American League and or play at the NHL level. Uh, any, any thoughts about that, DB? John, I didn't see him enough, to be honest with you. So mm-hmm. I guess that they see value in him and went overseas and played a little bit. So, I mean, what's your thoughts? Well, we alluded to it on the, uh, I think it was probably the last Kings of the podcast. We were talking about them wanting to add a little bit of depth defensively and how um, some of the guys at the American League level, a guy like Daniel Brickley won't be back uh, Mm -hmm. next year on that team. So they do want to have a player or two. Mark Alt won't be available either uh, or won't be back most likely. So they do want to have some players in the American League that have some experience that they can call up to the NHL if they needed to in the event of whatever. Um, And so they want to have a little bit of experience down there. And they were comfortable with what they saw from him during his time with Ontario, as well as comfortable with the brief mm-hmm. uh, you know, amount of games that he played in Los Angeles. From everything I've gathered, uh, the coaching staff in both Ontario and L.A., they, they enjoyed having him around, and, and that's why they were able to uh, uh, you know, extend him for one more year. So uh, good for him. You know, look, he, he, this would have been a very difficult year, I believe, for him to go out and earn an NHL contract. He didn't sure. get enough NHL games last year. Um, I'm sure that he thinks of himself as an NHL player and is looking for that opportunity. Um, but, you know, for the time being in a very tough market, a flat cap, et cetera, coming off of a short season, good for him to get a contract, get it done, get it out of the way. Uh, and now he can go about his summer instead of waiting around until after free agency and, you know, being one of those not even secondary, but even tertiary players that sometimes don't get right. signed until August. You know, you're talking about another month or six weeks of agony, DB. So good on him to get a sure. deal done and, It'll be very interesting to see once he's 
had half a season or even a full season in the LA organization, uh, what that means for him, because they have had a number of different players that sort of flew under the radar and right. improved their development Great stock point. while they were in the LA organization. So good for him. Yeah, exactly. Like an Austin Strand who people didn't really know much about and he gained momentum and is going into the system and going through their development uh, process. It, it might work. So it's, look, it's certainly no risk deal. So I think that uh, he's got an opportunity to open the door for him. I mean, you look at a guy like Sean Walker as well, who his first uh, deal yep. was with the Ontario Reign and then eventually earned a contra- an NHL contract and is now basically a full-time NHL player. Uh, yep. you know, so, and even was playing over at the World Championships as well. So it's just, and Will Lannan played there as well. So I, I'd like to believe even that seeing him play on that stage might have even um, opened up LA's eyes even further, right? Because he sure. was playing, he was uh, contributing. Now, you know, mind you, it wasn't the Stanley Cup final over there, but it was an important tournament for guys to get a little, a little bit of a longer look. And with so many of the Kings prospects in that tournament, uh, not prospects, excuse me, with so many of the Kings players in that tournament, including Cal Peterson, they were able to then watch him and, and uh, get a little bit of a longer look, albeit it's not an NHL look, but they were able to get a longer look than, than what they had on him. So, so good on him for, uh, for doing that. It, it, it does raise an interesting question, though, DB, because I think some fans jumped to the wrong conclusion online earlier today. I just saw a couple of quick replies. Oh, no, really? The, <laughs> fans jumped to the wrong throughout conclusion, Throughout the day. John. And, yeah, and people saying, you know, that this doesn't bode well for Olimata. Um, I don't yeah. think that the two are really connected because Agreed. what we talked about, there's a, there's shameless plug. Yes. There's an article on mayor's manner sets mm-hmm. up the lineup, right? Talks about the fact that the Kings want to add a legitimate NHL player uh, on defense. Even if they don't get their LD one, they want to add a little bit more depth, a player mm-hmm. that would push Olimata into the seventh position. True. I think Christian Wolanin is probably in the eighth position, right? Right. You know, at best. So I don't yeah. think this has any impact at all whatsoever no. on Oli Mata. They're not looking for Christian Wolanin to replace Mata in the lineup. They're just looking to have a little bit more depth in the organization. And who knows? Oli Mata might not even be part of the equation because he is going to be exposed right. in the expansion exactly. draft. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Right. That could be, that could happen. He's a he's an NHL defenseman, whether you like him or not, and he's got a f- affordable cap hit. So yeah, I, I it's possible. I think it's Clegg, but I agree with you. He may not even be part of the equation at all. So. Yeah, which would then be even further interesting because uh, if you figure then that if Mata did get taken in the expansion draft and they were able to go out and sign somebody else, that would solidify the top six. You'd have Dowdy right. Roy Walker, you'd have Bjornfoot Anderson, and this other player. There's your top six. Who would be the seventh defenseman? Would they roll with a Christian Wolan and would mm-hmm. they roll with an Austin Strand, or right. would they then even want to go out and sign yet another, another defenseman right. to mm-hmm. add even more depth to replace? Sure. Olimata as the seventh D. So a lot of interesting stuff coming up, DB. We are, yep. uh, we're a little more than a week away. I guess we're about 10 days away from the list needing list, to go to right. the league. And that'll really kick things off. The list of protected mm-hmm. players is due on July 17th. You mentioned right. um, Kale Clegg. It really is fascinating because if Kale Clegg isn't selected and they take somebody else, Mm-hmm. Then you also have to wonder what's next for Kale Clegg because right. would he be the seventh defenseman? Right. Or, I mean, I just don't think Kale Clegg has enough trade value right now. And that's not a criticism of the player. It's just players end up in this sort of weird zone where yep. coming out of the draft for the next year or two, you still have a lot of uh, a draft, excuse me, trade value. Mm-hmm. And then after you've played a certain number of pro games, then 
your your value is sort of reassessed before yeah. you become a full time NHL player. And so he doesn't have enough NHL games to get that type of trade value. Right. So what do you trade for a Kale Clegg? I mean, a third round pick, a fourth round pick? I don't know. I I think he'd have to be part of a package. I I, I, I agree. You're right. The body of work isn't there, John. And it's no disrespect to to Kale. It's just that he hasn't had enough games at this level to say he's worth X amount. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's part of a package, not just a one-off trade. Yeah, I think that uh, if you go out and you get a defenseman, um, I think there's two guys you have to really keep an eye on. One of them would be Sean Walker and one yep. would be Kale Clegg yep. because I think those are the two. Possibly a Matt Roy, although that creates a few more problems for them uh, on the right side. Well, but, I, you know, if you're the team on the other side of the phone, you know, you're going to ask for Matt Roy before you're asking right. for Sean Walker. So it, well, it, it is going to be interesting. Go ahead, Dean. If, if, if Matt Roy's in a deal, that's a big deal. That's not a small deal. This is a 20-minute-a-night defenseman who's a top-four guy now. If you're moving on from him, like then the guy's coming back has got to be substantial. Oh, yeah. No, I'm talking about an LD1. I'm not, I'm not just talking okay. about a— Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm not talking about a third-pairing defenseman. No, I'm saying, okay, look, I'll throw the name out there just as an example, a hypothetical. Sure. If it's a Seth Jones-type trade right. and it's three or four assets going the other way— yeah. You're talking about a first-round pick. It won't be this for year's first-round pick, but you'd mm-hmm. be talking about a first-round pick and probably a Matt Roy, uh, and that's what I'm saying. I, I yeah, think yeah. you have to put a Roy in there because the other guy, team's right. going to want an NHL-type defenseman, sure. not just all futures in the deal. So exactly. speculation, people. The Kings are not trading for Seth Jones tomorrow, so please, no, you don't need please. to tweet anybody. Exactly. Um, <laughs> look, they all, the Kings did make a trade, though. They made a trade since the last episode, DB. Last week, late last week, they traded for Victor Arvidsson, mm-hmm. and uh, you've had an opportunity to weigh in, and I have uh, as well on your radio show and various mm-hmm. written pieces. But I'm curious, when you look at the lineup as of right now, and it, it, I don't think you, anybody can make a definitive statement because they have, you have to wait till they get the other forward. But as of right now, mm-hmm. where would you play him? Would you play him on the top line? Because he's only playing with one of two centers. He's with right. Kopitar or Velarde. Yeah. Would you play him on the top line? I would. And you came on a hot stove last week and did an amazing, like, we even did word association. And you did a, a fantastic <laughs> job on the show. And we Thank threw you. out some names and stuff like that. And I didn't even bring up the one guy in Buffalo. It was great. It was a great spot. But, John, I, I want to give Kopitar a finisher. So I'd play Arvidsson with Kopitar. It's as simple okay. as that. And then move Brown down a lot. Move Brown down. I think you agree. But that's what I'd want, at least to start. Like You never know how uh-huh. it works out. You never know how Carmen Stream works out. But I want, I want to have Kopi have a finisher. And the guy's obviously going to play in the first power play, which needs help. So I think, I think that's where I would slot him in. How about you? Uh, well, so you, you actually went on to my next question, which was, okay, so if he goes to the top line, who moves off the top line? And uh, I would agree with you that it's probably Dustin Brown. We know how much Kopi likes playing with both, both players, so he's probably going to have to flip a coin to see who ni- if 19 or 23 is moving down. This is where it becomes interesting, though, because I think a lot of people make the automatic assumption that if Brown jumps off the line, you put him on the second line with Gabe Velarde. And I was a big proponent of putting Brown with Velarde because in the small sample size that they played together last year, I liked it. Mm-hmm. However... New year, new lineup, sure. a new new factors. I really like the idea of putting him on a line with Quentin Byfield, giving some veteran presence mm. on that third line. Now, I know some people would like to have a more of a kid line if you're going to have Byfield going with all youngsters out there, and you can sure. do that. But I think you don't do that coming out of the gate. I think you do that in, like, December on. But I think to come out of the gate in October, you want to have either Iofalo or Brown playing with Byfield. That's what I think. So you're lining up at center... Kopitar, Velarde, Byfield, opening night. Yes. Okay. Which, if that's the case, then yeah, I have no problem putting a veteran with the. I, you can't do a kid line, John. You can't if you have designs 
on getting to that three seed, and I think that's what they should shoot for. Like, you've got to spread the wealth along there. And, and, and so, yeah, you couldn't play uh, Turcotte, Cali, Evan Byfield, right? As much as I joke about it, you couldn't, you, you, that doesn't make sense off the bat. I agree with you. Like, give him some legs, give him 20 games in, and if you want to, and you know, Todd will switch it around anyway if it's not producing. But I agree with you. You got to have some veteran presence playing with Quinton Byfield. Yeah, you can't just go Leas Anderson and and Trevor right. Moore on right. Right. You know, on the on the third line there with Byfield. You can't. I don't even think you can go Leas Anderson and Kempe with Byfield. I I I, I really like the idea of either Byfield or Iafalo there mm-hmm. personally. That's yeah. just what it is. I agree. It is weird though in the sense that Kempe, he's like the next the next step, right? Like he's almost a veteran player at this point, which is so weird at 24, but yeah. he has the NHL games that, well, I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that he's trade bait. I think that's yeah. the forward that you would trade if you want an NHL player. And, you know, as much as I, you know, criticize the guy for like, he had a nice season last year, right? He, his goal scoring improved. He has his own entry capability. So I think that would be the guy, John, if there's a substantial trade and you want to trade a roster player, that would be the guy point to at least with respect to forwards. Yeah. The other issue with the forwards really is that when you, when you look around, it's kind of like a game of uh, musical chairs. When everybody moves around, if you end up putting Leah Anderson over on the left side, which is what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. and you start slotting everybody else in, where do you play Grunstrom? Where do you play uh, Jod? Where do you play Trevor Moore, who has right. solidified his spot in the lineup, et cetera? Kempe does almost end up as the odd man out. Right. And they still have one more forward to get. So right. if they go out and get another forward via free agency or in some sort of a trade that doesn't involve a roster player, mm-hmm. it becomes even more challenging for yeah. a guy like Kempe. So he does make a lot of sense to move in some sort of a trade as they you know recreate and reevaluate their their lineup and, moving into next season and john you think that trade would come after the expansion draft right not necessarily because the kings have an extra spot on the um on their protection list so they're mm-hmm. going with three and seven so they're okay. going to protect uh, the three the three defensemen of course would be dowdy roy and walker they're right. going to protect mm-hmm. uh barring a last minute trade for an ld1 but sure. that's that's what they're doing and then on the uh the forwards they're going the plan is to go with what do you have kopitar Ayafalo, kempe um leas anderson um Ardvidsen. Mm-hmm. who am i missing uh, brown, brown and there's one more well, Brown is the seventh one. There's one more that I'm missing. Did I say Ayafalo? Kopitar, no. Ayafalo, Kempe, Anderson, Moore, Arvidsson. There's your six. Mm-hmm. And Brown is oh, seven. seven. Okay. So um, from what I understand, Arvidsson uh, takes the spot that Grunstrom was holding. We'll call it the six, number six on sure, the, on the sure. list. Right. And so now at number seven is Brown. And um, they will protect Brown if they don't have another forward to, right. to get in that spot. If they do, they would then roll the dice and, you know, put that other forward there at seven and, and see what happens with Dustin Brown. We all believe, Dennis, that there is a very, very, very slim chance that Dustin Brown will get taken. Yes. So I might as well Agreed. acknowledge that. However, yeah. you are playing with fire a little bit because yeah, yeah. The, the, he, of course, he led the team in goals last year. And even if you don't think he's going to come back and lead the team in goals again next year, it, you're, you're taking 20 goals out of the lineup right. and the Kings are trying to add offense <laughs> to the lineup. So if you give up Brown, now they need to go out and replace the, you know right. him yep. with another player as well. It just it creates. Uh, it's kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It just creates it another Agreed. problem. So Agreed. if it comes zero. after, th- right? You don't improve, right? 
Yep. So if you, um, I mean, you did change the chemistry of the team and change the dynamics mm-hmm. and you changed the lineup and whatnot, but you are taking 20 goals out of the lineup. Uh, if the trade doesn't come before um, the 17th, which is when lists are due, then you have to wait an- about another week because you have the expansion draft the 21st and then the roster freeze, I believe, opens up on the 22nd, Seven, which is yeah. the day, mm-hmm. it's the Thursday, which is the day before the draft. And so you could see some movement, probably will see some movement on the 22nd, yeah. 3rd, and 4th mm-hmm. draft weekend, but have to get on the other side of the expansion draft um, yeah. before that. Any any other, uh, just sort of opening it up to the NHL though, any big names out there that you're hearing or that you think are going to move? And I do want to ask about An- uh, Anaheim and Eichel because um, I, I get the sense that that has cooled off a little bit. Now that doesn't mean that a deal is still not possible, but it does seem that, that those talks have cooled off a little bit of, of late. What do you what well, do you think? Well, What's your take? On, on Eichel specifically, you know, it's funny because um, I do... Uh, discussion room on SiriusXM with Marty Baran, who does the color for the Buffalo Sabres. And he's pretty adamant saying, I don't think they're trading him in this year. And now, if you want to move on from John, the, 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 the clock is ticking towards what? The no movement clause. Because the last thing I think Buffalo wants is the Jack Eichel have more control sure. over the situation than less. But it's funny because uh, Kevin Adams did an interview with uh, Pierre Lebrun. And he said, yeah, you know, we've got a young core we can build around. Casey Middlestad, Dylan Cousins, and uh, Rasmus Dahlin. And he didn't mention Jack Eichel. So Mm -hmm. there you go. So that's it. So other names. Well, Duncan Keith's not going to play for sure. He's going to play one of three places. Chicago, uh, Edmonton, or Seattle. Because he wants to be closer to his kids in British Columbia. So that's, that's one big name that could move. And... You know, it's good to see Jonathan Taves back and healthy. And you know, to, yes. with respect to where Jack Eichel lives, I agree with you, John. I think a lot of things have cooled off because we're not certain about Jack's health. I think it's simple mm-hmm. as that. I mean, regardless of how we kid about, you know, dealing Jack here and it's not going to happen, whatever. Like, if he's not healthy, forget it. I would never consider doing it. And that's, I think we're getting clarity around it because if Kevin Adams is not even mentioning Jack Eichel as part of the future, you know, he's got to have begin. And, and John, let's be real here. Like, there are conversations going on about all the players. Like, there's nobody's just sitting home, like saying, "Ah, oh, you know what? Next week after the Cup Finals over, I'll start talking." There's a lot of conversation to me, and the one guy that's I'm interested in is where's Tarasenko wind up because it looks like he's going to leave. And a team like the Islanders, if they had Tarasenko to add to Anders Lee, who's coming back for injury, they'd have to have a lot of moving parts on. They'd have to get, they'd have to offload a guy like um, Nick Letty. And Uncle Leo uh, Kamarov, but they they're going to be aggressive as well. So I think it's a question of not which players, but which teams are going to be more aggressive. And again, we go back to Vegas, and Vegas really needs another center. So for, with respect to me, I think like big names, Duncan Keith's going to go, and I think Tarasenko, despite the injuries and the shoulder surgeries, teams still think he can finish and, and be a productive goal scorer. You know, the one name that is interesting is to me at least is Seth Jones in the sense that. Yeah. He hasn't been linked to as many teams as you would have expected during this sort of silly season, mm-hmm. especially after it was pretty much announced that he wants out, right? And yeah. he's not gonna he's he's not gonna resign there. Um, and but you you've yet to hear some legitimate deals or legitimate talks going on between different teams. So you have to think that that's going to heat up, yeah. or somehow, some way. Did John, and I'm being the optimist here, did John sure. Davidson find a way as the new guy in town to come in, have a meeting, get together with Seth and his camp or whatever, calm the waters, ask mm-hmm. for the summer to let let his team or let his camp see the moves they're going to make, right? Now right. they've hired, because all this happened before they really solidified. So sure. now they have, they, have, uh, they have their coach, they're Fred starting Larson, to put things yeah. in place. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they're gonna they're gonna get a draft pick. You know what's going on there. Uh, what other type of trades or other moves might they make? You know, Seth can really change his opinion here over the next thirty days, and right. that swings the pendulum back the other way to then what happens with the other defensemen in the Blue right, Jackets. Right, and I think the issue with Columbus is they have nothing at center. That's the issue. Like Max Domi had labrum surgery. He's going to be out, and he's not a number one center. And I think with respect to the Columbus Blue Jackets specifically, John, they've always rolled the dice. Like Kekalainen, the one thing he's in, he's held on the guys to the bitter. He held on to Panarin. He held on to Bobrovsky. In retrospect, that wasn't such a, you know, it wasn't such a, a big loss for them. But he's held on to the last minute. I, I think that if you've got to have an honest conversation with the player. If he really wants us on here and you can make some trades and he says, look, Let's see what happens in this next month. If you improve the team, I might reconsider. But if not, I think they're at a point where they, they need too much. And what happens with Lane? You know, John, they need a senator for Lane, right? And, you know, so they had that thing with Dubois, and they wound up trading him. But Lane didn't play well. Maybe it was the coach, and some of it was probably because of the coach. But the other thing is the center. So if, if I want Patrick Lane to score goals, I'm using Seth Jones to make that trade. And, you know, with respect to who would look at Seth Jones – if the Philadelphia Flyers, one of your favorite teams, is not looking at every single defenseman, John, they should be. Because that's a team that mm-hmm. needs is desperate. You, know, you wouldn't think that Matt Niskanen would have been the deciding factor to see this team go south defensively. But with Carter Hart not producing last season and really go, regressing and the defense playing really poor for a, a veteran coach like A.V., and I know you're not the biggest fan of A.V., but if they're not nope. in on every defenseman, John, like, then Chuck Fletcher's not doing his job. Yeah, that that is the one team that uh, we've heard a little bit about uh, in terms of being linked to Seth Jones. But um, th- I think the situation is a little bit different, just to follow up on something you said, t- because context, we love that word, right? It, it, it is different. <laughs> the last time around, when they held on to the bread man and the goalie, they, they weren't in the same situation they are right here. They had pushed all their chips to the middle. They were right. all in. Right. So mm-hmm. they had to they mm-hmm. had to almost keep those guys. And it was right. it was a big gamble. You could say it's foolish. People said it was foolish when he did it. And it's easier to say even now in in retrospect. But right. he went all in because they felt that was sort of the peak of what they had been building over a multi-year period. And yeah. they couldn't afford to then just pull the rug out from underneath everybody. I think they're sort of at a different point right now They're mm-hmm. I don't want to say they're rebuilding, but they're about to sort of turn the page on this they're franchise. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, the, the you know, a different coach is coming in and now you know Davidson is back and it's a reset it's a reboot for the organization and so because of that I don't think that you want players around that are in limbo I don't Mm -hmm. think you want to wait until the last minute with Seth Jones I think you want to hurry up and figure out what it is that he wants to do and if you think and you get a sense that by making certain moves you're going to have a better than 50% I don't want to say a guaranteed shot at signing him but if you have a better than 50% chance of signing him over the next 12 months, then maybe you roll it out a little bit longer. But if you really get the sense like, hey, no matter what we do, Seth is probably going to walk as a UFA or he's going to explore the market as a UFA, you probably just want to move on from, go ahead and move on from that right now and it'll help you in terms of turning the page and what you're trying to build going forward. Yeah, the the problem is, John, is that it's like Seth has a 10-team no-trade clause and here's the other factor. Like if Seth don't want to play where you trade him to, then he walks. And if he really wants to play in Colorado and you train to Philly and you're saying, well, wait a minute, I don't – and, John, you know, always say, well, we want permission to talk to him, which never happens. Like, that's the other X factor is that you could wind up renting this guy for a year and that will decrease the – you know, unless you – for certain you're saying, okay, we can – let us talk to the guy, we can cut a deal, and then we'll give you, you know, your four assets. I think the, the other problem is that you're going to get a reduced return because if you trade him to Edmonton – 
He's probably not signing in Edmonton, right? So again, sure. that, that's that's part of the problem. And this is a, a high value player, and you want to do that. Re- and I agree with you, John. They're at the back. They're at the end of that that group of teams. And the other thing you're right about is that that team needed to make the, have some postseason success, and they did win a playoff round. They beat Tampa Bay. They had not yep. done that before. So for the for the organization for the, the season ticket holders, they had to be all in because they needed some playoff success. But I agree with you. They've got to move on from this player because right now the way the roster is, that's not close to being a playoff team. Yeah. Not yet, but there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, yep. it'll be very interesting to see what they are able to get. And you also have to be careful because you don't you you're probably not in a position where you can get all futures for Seth sure. Jones because if you're getting all futures, which is kind of what we're hearing that <clears throat> excuse me that Buffalo was saying they wanted in the in the, in the deal for Eichel, right? Um, if if Nashville Nashville if Columbus <laughs> was to get all futures, then that doesn't really help what they're doing. Uh, you know, immediately that's sort of a you're you're now sort yes. of setting up what your plan is going to be for the next three to five years rather than what your plan is going to be for the 21-22 season. Um, Let's bring it back close. uh, Just a couple of notes to wrap up here, DB, and uh, we'll bring this episode to a close. Again, thank you to Cal Peterson for stopping by. Some LA Kings notes. Development camp. I've been receiving a lot of questions about development Mm -hmm. camp, and is it going to be scheduled? It is normally scheduled immediately following the NHL draft, which is coming up on the 23rd and 24th. However, from what we've heard, the NHL has asked teams to not schedule development camp this year until after August 1st. That creates a couple of issues, and even if it, uh, that rule wasn't in place, there would be a couple issues related to development camps and the actual you know, global hockey calendar. So immediately following the uh, NHL draft this year, you have the Team USA camp, which is opening up. Brock Faber will be part of it, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of NHL prospects will be part of that camp that's going to extend for a week or 10 days there. Uh, the, the summer showcase, you have Finland coming in and Sweden coming in. So a lot of players wouldn't be able to participate sure. in... In, in development camp anyway. Right. Now, when you're getting into the first week of August, as that camp uh, wraps up, and we don't even know what Team Canada is doing yet, but even just as those uh, Finland, Sweden, and U.S. camps open up, the European players, they're over in their camps. So guys mm-hmm. like Simon Teivel and a lot of the Kings prospects, uh, uh, Grands, they're not right. able to come over for development camp either. And so if you're the LA Kings, you're kind of sitting there and wondering and go, okay, wait, what do we do? Because one <laughs> of the reasons we like to hold this development camp is it's the only time of the year we get to look at our college players and our European sure. players really um, – you don't want to hold a camp just for essentially the Ontario rain players because right. you just spent the whole year with the Ontario the rain players. And so yeah. that does, I mean, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And for what a couple of college players, you know, I mean, you got to take a look at Andre Lee uh, and, and, you know, and Ben Behan before he goes back uh, to Lowell. And what about the new prospects? Because you have all these prospects that you uh, drafted last year that didn't right. get development camp. Sure. So they didn't get indoctrinated into the organization. They didn't get their little merch bag and all that stuff that helps them <laughs> feel part of the LA Kings. You don't want to go another draft class uh, you know, and, and, and not You're have not the development it. camp. So yeah. it's a really weird situation. And uh, in talking to a couple teams around the league, it, it's, it's a real question mark. Teams aren't sure what they're going to do even. And uh, we're now, you know, on July 6th, DB, we're less yeah. than a month away. And, and people are vacillating going, you know, do we do it? Do we not do it? Should we? Should we not? So there's that. Um, the other thing on the calendar that I wanted to mention is the uh, training camp, which is going to be opening up in September, and the NHL rookie tournament. The NHL Rookie Tournament, which is scheduled to be played uh, in Arizona, Arizona. At, mm-hmm. uh, at the arena, not actually at their practice facility, um, not out there in Scottsdale, but at the mm-hmm. actual arena in Glendale. Here's the interesting thing, though, DB. From what I understand, the Colorado Avalanche are opting to not participate in the tournament this year, from what I've mm-hmm. gathered. And I find that interesting only because, uh, well, a couple of reasons. One, 
with six teams, it makes it easier to schedule because there's an even number of teams. Sure. You can still do it with five teams, but you probably have to have an off day in there, mm-hmm. which extends the tournament one day. Not that big of a deal, probably. Um, and then the other thing uh, would be that it's just kind of weird to me because I know Colorado is no longer in the Pacific Division, right. but their American League team is in the Pacific Division <laughs> and is staying in the Pacific Division. So when you really think about what this tournament is, it's you know featuring San Diego and it's featuring uh, the Ontario Reign and San yep. Jose and so on. Colorado should be part of it. So I and and Seattle wouldn't be ready because they're not no. going to have enough players to put a team together this year. Sure. So. I don't know if they're going to be able to get a sixth team or if Colorado will have a change of heart, but uh, that is the tentative plan as of right now is to play it in Colorado this year. Actually, Colorado played Arizona this year, DB, mm-hmm. and then next year played in San Jose. They, of course, just opened up or they will be opening up their brand new facility for yep. the Barracuda, mm-hmm. and they're going to host it. And then the Kings are uh, slated to host it the uh, the following year, which would be, what, 2023, I guess. Correct. So that's the update on camps, DB. Uh, and... Until that, any of that happens, first things first, the Stanley Cup has to be awarded, so I'll put you on the spot. Does Tampa close it out at home, game five, or does somehow this thing get extended one more game? No, they're going to win in five. They should have won last night. You know, Kucherov's tip hits the, doesn't hit the, the post and goes in the net. Instead, we're talking about a sweep. So, But, John, here's the thing. It's so hard to sweep. Like, And what? Remember 2012, 2014? Both times, L.A. went up 3 nothing, couldn't close the deal. So, yeah, I think Tampa goes home. Um, they make some corrections, and they wind up winning the Cup and no, it's skating around with it in front of their fans tomorrow night. Well, 2014 would have worked out fine for L.A., except for that snow that was up there in yes. front of uh, in, in the I, crease with Lundquist. Right. And D.B., we were all there. <laughs> we were poised in New York to have a grand party, a grand yes. celebration there in Manhattan. We still had a great time, even we though did, that yeah. uh, the, the series did have to come back to Los Angeles. DB, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate the podcast. Uh, I think we might have to do this again soon. It's been too long. It's been, it's been a great episode, John. Let's do it real soon. All right. We'll talk to you later, fans.